Hello, friends. Welcome to the trailer for The Road Taken with C.T. and Bayo. I'm Bayo. A.K.A. Chris Bayo. I've watched Chris bring his sunny positivity and shredding bass lines to stages all around the world for the past 13 years in the band Vampire Weekend. And I'm C.T. Which is short for Chris Thompson. For the past 13 years, you've been my sneakily dark rhythm section partner. We've embarked on a massive world tour and are excited to experience all the thrills and boredom that entails. To help us process our own experiences along the way, we'll be having conversations with peers, idols, and maybe a rando or two. The Road Taken with CT and Bayo, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, coming soon on all podcast platforms. David, as we were about to record this podcast, Rudy Giuliani's Ukraine documents were subpoenaed <laughs> by a House subcommittee. What I want to know is, what Trump Ukraine revelations will come down before we finish recording the podcast? There's so much that could happen. I think we reverse jinxed it last week when you were like, I hope nothing happens and make this so we don't have to record over the weekend. Um, so maybe we could just keep doing that. But really, any everything's everything's on the table now, right? Yeah. Giuliani could uh, appear on a talk show on cable news. <laughs> Giuliani Wouldn't could just be, be screaming outside the office right now. I mean, he anything could happen. <laughs> Giuliani could return a reporter's phone call. He could text a reporter some incriminating information. Chris Collins just for, just finally resigned. I mean, oh, wow. he, by the end of this podcast, every pro-Trump congressman could be out. I mean, he could have, could just find a reason to to walk away. There are a lot of options here, and none of them are good. You know, I'm I'm never quite a believer in the news dump. You know, the, just everybody claiming that every time anything happens, uh, you know, on a Friday afternoon is a news dump. Yeah. But Placido Domingo, was that who resigned? Placido, yeah. Placido Domingo, excuse me. That in the wake of the Trump Ukraine impeachment fury, Fantastic. that was kind of the mother of all news dumps. Yeah. That was a legit left the Met opera. That that was incredible because this this really this is this is one of the great opportunities. If you have something terrible. You just let just let it rip right now. Exactly. You got about you got about two more days and everything will be forgotten instantly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I think we have total cover now. Literally any anything could happen. We are the embarrassing and incriminating news of media podcasts. This is the press box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here. Lots of juicy stories to get to today, including Robert De Niro, resistance hero, the pre-reviews of the movie The Joker, an NFL quarterback faces off with a football writer, and the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, we got to start with the very latest on Donald Trump, Ukraine, and impeachment, because over the weekend, we learned a little bit about the president's mindset going into his fateful phone call with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, particularly with regard to Trump's weird and improper request that Zelensky investigate not only Joe Biden, but also help Trump prove a debunked theory about Ukraine, not Russia, hacking DNC emails back in 2016. For the latest on that, here is Thomas Bossert. Trump's former Homeland Security advisor, explaining Trump's thinking to George Stephanopoulos. The details are both convoluted and false. And during your time in the White House, you explained that to the president, right? I did. It's not only a conspiracy theory, it is completely debunked. You know, I, I'm, I don't want to be glib about this matter, but uh, last year, 
uh, retired former Senator Judd Gregg wrote a piece in The Hill magazine saying the three ways or the five ways to impeach oneself. And the third way was to hire Rudy Giuliani. And, and at this point, I am deeply frustrated with what he and the legal team is doing and repeating that debunked theory to the president. It sticks in his mind when he hears it over and over again. And for clarity here, George, let me just again repeat that it has no validity. Here's a question I have for you, David, at the risk of getting back a shrug emoji. Knowing what you know about Trump, do you think he actually believes the debunked stories about the server and Joe Biden helping his son Hunter in Ukraine? Or do we think he knows their bullshit and is doing this as a big game? I'm not sure there's much of a distinction between those two things, uh, or at least not a, a, a one that matters. But I think uh, I lean towards option A, and at the risk of sounding like a you know MSNBC talking head, I really think that um, I think that you know Tom Bossert's uh, statement on Sunday gives us sort of the clearest window, even incidentally into the mind of the president that we've had. I mean, just maybe just because it reinforces some of our preconceived notions about him, but the idea that repeating it over and over again is what makes it stick, right? The, the idea that like hearing the same conspiracy theory um, uh, repeated um, lends it credence. Um, I think that that, I, 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 that feels right. And it feels like the implication there is that Trump begins to believe it if he's heard it enough times. He's interesting, right? Because he's both a purveyor of false information and at the same time, a mindless consumer of false information. So he's sort of like Sean Hannity and a member of Sean Hannity's audience at the same time. Trump, I'm talking right. about. And I just, I, I think you're right. I think, I think there is something to the repetition. It's sort of like he, he might, he might have been told at some point that it was false, but if he reads enough about it and if people around him tell him enough about it and if the Fox News just wall of sound that he seems to be engulfed in at all times talks enough about it, any distinction in his mind of whether is this true or not just kind of fades away and he just stops thinking about that question. Honestly, if you if you if you you know, pressured me. I'm not sure that there's a huge difference between that and the and some of the other people that you mentioned, um, the Hannity's of the world. I mean, I think that there's some people might come at the subject more kind of more cannily. You know, some people might might uh, have some some uh, or at least have started with some remove between their on screen personas and their real per and their real selves. But I don't think you can really do that job. And I'm this is not specific to the right wing or any or anywhere else. You know, I mean, like. With the exception of pro wrestling or like coast to coast AM, I'm not sure that you can like be a presenter of that of of, of false information without at some and on some level buying in yourself. You know, you kind of go you, your life becomes the rabbit hole that you that you you know start your journey down. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was Hannity himself who was constantly in Trump's ear talking about this nonsense. You know, I mean, I, it's uh we know that they speak on the phone, and and it's I mean, it's just it's a very it's a very specific breed of conspiracy theory that like is almost as much as it's going to as much as it conceive could conceivably deep six you know the Biden campaign if if it were widely believed it's just it's just so such a very specific almost 
almost minor conspiracy in the grand scheme of things. Um, I don't. It's just. It, I don't know. It's 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 very. It's a very interesting one for him to have glommed onto like that. First off, how dare you defame Art Bell, uh, long time and now deceased <laughs> host of Coast to Coast AM, who really is a god among us, or was a god among us. It still may be among us if Art Bell was right about a lot of things. Yeah. Second, I guess the fact that Trump went to the president of Ukraine and asked him to investigate this stuff doesn't that argue that he did believe it? Because if if he knew it was a con, if he knew it was fake. Why would you ask somebody to investigate the fake exactly. thing? Part of the answer to that, if you want to take, if you, if, I mean, if you want to ascribe to Trump that he doesn't believe it, I mean, he, he he built his national reputation during the Obama administration on a fake investigation, right? I mean, he see he knows the value of a show investigation for political gain when he's when he supposedly sent people to Hawaii to investigate Obama's birth certificate, et cetera. I mean, this it 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 is feasible that this is that that all that. He saw the the value in being able to say, people are investigating this. The very best people are in the are in Ukraine, you know, digging up documents. <laughs> but birtherism feels a little different because I never believed that he believed it. You know, no, I, I don't I think never, so, I don't I think so either. He seriously believed it. So I, that one to me falls on the side of, ah, oh, this is just this is just for the rubes out there. I'm going to just keep repeating this, and if somebody believes yeah. it, it'll be of some advantage to me. But, um, but this is the. But this is the. I mean, this is why people say, like, you know, I mean, this this is the 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 deep problem with like, you know, the internet today is that you start off as a joke. You start off like memeing on 4chan, and the next thing you know, like, you really believe that there's like child sex rings going on in basements in Washington D.C. You know, what I mean, like, it's it, it's a slippery slope. Speaking of purveying myths and lies, on Sunday, Trump's personal lawyer Rudy Giuliani did this week and face the nation. Here he is on the ladder talking to Margaret Brennan about what Secretary of State Mike Pompeo might or might not have known about Giuliani's activities regarding Ukraine. Did Secretary of State Pompeo know you were doing these things? Did he ask you to do these things? He did not. Uh, Mr. Mr. Um, Volker did and then Mr. Sondland did. But when I talked to the secretary last week, he said he was aware of it. He told me that he was aware of it. So he, you're saying the Secretary of State didn't instruct you to set up these meetings? The same day uh, that Giuliani was on Face the Nation saying that stuff, Joe Biden's team sent out a note to a bunch of media people saying, stop booking this guy, quoting their letter, giving Rudy Giuliani valuable time on your air to push these lies in the first place is a disservice to journalism. So here's my next question for you. On the one hand, Giuliani is going on these shows with the express purpose of putting debunked stories into the ether. He has said this. On the other hand, Giuliani is Trump's personal attorney and often has actual information. So if you were EPing a political talk show, would you put Rudy on or not? Man, I think that given the the parameters largely self-imposed of the Sunday news programs, I think it's hard to justify putting him on. I think that there's a way that you can put Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani on a, a news program and an interview program. I think that the implicit, the implicit, uh, on the one hand, on the other hand, of the setup of all of these things, even a one-on-one interview, is just uh, conveys a level of gravitas that is not that has been that's not deserved in this case. <laughs> and so I'd really have a hard time doing it. But you see the problem they run up against because, you know, there's there's certainly been times in 
in scandals past, or not not scandals, in 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 argument in, in situations past where there was no one made available. You know, no one was available to dis- to to talk about it on the Sunday talk shows, and you kind of see the the awkwardness that that you know the the conversation pr- proceeds in in those cases. But I don't really know exactly what you do when it's like. You know, you have Giuliani and Jim Jordan, Stephen Miller. I mean, when it's, I mean, can a news program just open up and say, like, listen, the only people who were willing to come on and defend the president were like two bit hacks who look like, you know, <laughs> who look like who, who come across like villains from a John Grisham movie from 1992. I mean, it's like they're all it's it's all so. I mean, you can just see the pain on the faces of Jake Tapper and George Stephanopoulos and and Margaret Brennan just trying to just understand what is going on in front of them, you know? I mean, and it's, it just, I don't know. I mean, it, it, like, I, I, like I said, I think that there's a, I think that there is a value in them, in this nonsense being aired and presented as, and, you know, if it can be presented as such, or, or at least framed in such a way that the, the viewer can, pre- can, can deem it such. But the way that they do it is just seeing, I would just say no. It, it's funny with Giuliani though, isn't it? Because, He's a little different than some of the other Trump people. I think when it comes to like Corey Lewandowski and Kellyanne Conway, their lie to information ratio is like ninety nine to one. They're they're not gonna they're not gonna tell you anything. Yeah, and those are just useless. And and really, the only sport is the CNN anchor yelling at them and and getting into a big argument, making kind of weird TV out of it. Giuliani, I would say despite the vast amount of misinformation he pumps out in every appearance, including this one, it's more like 80, 20 or 70, 30. And that thing you heard that we just played is him saying, Mike Pompeo told me he was aware of my activities Mm. with regard to Ukraine, which may or may not be true, but that's an important factoid in the upcoming congressional investigation. Did the secretary of state, you know, deputize Giuliani to do it, have knowledge of Giuliani doing it. That's a big question. So I guess the question is, do you suffer through six minutes of, and and by the way, and when I say suffer, his first six minutes of this interview were a complete train wreck. I mean, George Soros being mentioned multiple times, him holding up affidavits before the camera, in front of the camera saying, look at this, this affidavit has this in it. Stuff that just was completely useless. Uh, the interview was it was not a good interview. Margaret Brennan will not be putting that on her Emmy reel this year. I'm I'm pretty sure. But then you get that little that little headline that made it into a lot of publications afterwards. So I guess that's the question is, do, are you willing to suffer through all that just to get that little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's a valid question. I mean, and maybe the answer is you find a way to to separate the wheat from the chaff or whatever. I mean, I, I, I know that people will complain if you don't air a live interview and or an interview in full uh, in this day and age, but I'm not sure that the important stuff really, I mean, you're right. It matters. It matters in real time. Does it matter? I mean, in real time, it just seems like it's just nonsense, you know? And so I, 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 I honestly, I, I understand the, I understand the argument you're making. I just, I think it's tough. I think it's tough no matter which way you do it. It's one of those cases where print feels like the better medium. Because when I see him quoted in the New York Times, it's clear that the New York Times reporter has sat through 10 minutes of just wild nonsense, but then printed the one kind of interesting or germane fact that Giuliani gave up. Whereas in TV, you're obliged to hear all the parts that the yeah. print journalist cut. Mm-hmm. I was also fascinated by this. I don't know if you saw this in these articles about Giuliani's appearance, but so this week and Face the Nation asked for Joe Biden to come on those shows 
and refute him. Essentially, he would be Joe Biden would be speaking for Joe Biden. The Biden campaign said no, uh, partly because Biden has done almost no or maybe even zero Sunday morning talk shows, preferring other forums. But according to Michael Grinbaum uh, in The New York Times, Biden came back. His campaign came back and offered a representative, Cedric Richmond of Louisiana. You can put him on. He will represent us on there. And then the news program said no. So they were holding out for Joe. So so they had Rudy Giuliani on and they're like, the only way that you, you're getting a response on here on our air is to have Joe Biden himself come on and refute these claims. That that seems like a pretty high bar to me. And I guess you're making the point that if Biden never comes on these shows, that that's a big deal and you shouldn't you know reward him by just putting endless surrogates on. But that that seems wild to me that if you're going to have Giuliani, who we know will just say anything that the only that the way to get to, to get your you know yeah. message onto the program is to have the candidate himself yeah yeah it's like if you call somebody out do you i mean are they obligated to come on no i mean joe biden should just be should only be obligated to send his you know i mean i, I don't know who what what the what joe biden's equivalent of of rudy giuliani would be um maybe you could find like george pataki or something and wheel him out there to the show but uh edrin dell is would be my first nominee but but please continue ed rendell would be fantastic ed rendell is exactly that's this is this is the, the that's basically the giuliani zone or whatever we're calling this now i think ed rendell basically <laughs> blazed that trail 15 years ago but he <laughs> um but yeah this is ed rendell would be it would this would be a good use of him i also love the story did you see this one about the college students who scooped the nation's media uh, Kurt Volker, who is special envoy to yeah. Ukraine, or was, resigned on Friday. That was big news, but it was not broken by the usual national media Bigfoots, but by a student reporter at Arizona State University's State Whoa. Press newspaper. Yeah. Volker is executive director of an institute there at Arizona State. And so the story of his resignation was discovered by a student reporter and editor named Andrew Howard, who is 20 and a junior. Uh, what happens when you break your first big political scoop, David? You get a depressing prize. You have to go on Morning Joe. And so here's Andrew Howard making his Joe and Mika debut. <laughs> well, uh, the first thing we did was talk to the, uh, I talked to the editor-in-chief and said, you know, um, Volker works as the executive director of the McCain Institute, which is an ASU program. So we wanted to localize the national issue of the whistleblower uh, complaint. And in that, you know, our reporting led us to find that he was going to be leaving his position with the State Department. Um, and so we, we just reported that as, as best as we could. We were really just, just doing our jobs, trying to localize a national issue. Are we sure this guy is not better than the normal people they put on Morning Joe? <laughs> a, lot less, a lot less preening in that voice, wasn't there? This seems like a normal. Can we get him as a part of the regular panel? Oh, my gosh. That's, that is a... That is a slap in the face to Mike Barnacle. I can't believe you would go there. <laughs> Maybe I'm exquisitely sensitive to this because I, like Andrew Howard, am the product of a state school. But <laughs> let us listen to this question a few seconds later on Morning Joe. This was from the AP's Jonathan Lemire. Andrew, it's uh, Jonathan Lemire. Congratulations on the story. I can certainly tell you that when I was on my college newspaper, I was not breaking any sort of national news. I mostly was writing about the pretty terrible Columbia Lions football team. Um, oh, was that the Columbia Lions football team? <laughs> you went to Columbia? That's what you mm. wanted to remind us of? Mm. What a welcome to journalism moment for Andrew Howard. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and guess what, Andrew? 
they're going to keep reminding you of that your whole career. <laughs> you went to a fancy school like Columbia and you yeah. went to Arizona State. You're, he, th- this guy's only prayer is to go and get into sports writing. But guess what? We have some of those motherfuckers over here, too. And they'll rep- <laughs> you're, you're, you're never safe. Anyway, I just love that. What a moment. What a moment. Yeah. I, I could totally identify. Just somebody just saying, oh, yeah, you know me. He, he could have said, you know, I was writing about campus food and other crap when I was in college or, you know, I was more interested in the football team. Now I was interested in the Columbia Lions. Fantastic stuff. All right, David, time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. The cheapo and I guess cheerful retailer forever 21. David has filed for bankruptcy protection. Uh, I don't know if you ever had a chance to walk by it at the mall when you were on your way somewhere else, but forever 21 now in bankruptcy protection, it was an overworked Twitter joke to say Forever 21 is changing its name to Chapter 11. Oh, Thanks God. to John Xavier Deal for that one. I know, a little easy. A scoop, David, from basketball writer Mark Stein. Uh, he writes that NBA teams were notified that they must certify and submit the precise height and age for every player within the first week of training camp. The precise height <laughs> and age. A lot of gags. Here's one. Can't wait to find out Buddy Heald is 6'3 and also 37 years old. Uh, maybe even better. Now do it for Tinder. Uh, <laughs> thanks to Mike Rusak and Hugh Hopkins. And finally, Scott Tobias, Jake Christie, Charlie Gilmer, and usually JB sent this one in about the latest on Hurricane Karen. Uh, a tweet read, Karen is now a tropical depression and could fall apart at any time. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of great stuff. We've all been there, Karen. Also, sounds like a Karen. And this really exquisite Goodfellas reference from Dave Itzkoff. She's currently ringing the intercom of Janice Rossi in 2R and telling her to get her own goddamn man. (laughs) If you provided a perfect segue to our segment about Robert De Niro as a resistance hero, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right, David, time for the notebook dump. And speaking of Goodfellas, Robert De Niro has been on a press tour for the Martin Scorsese movie, The Irishman. Yeah. De Niro was on Reliable Sources with Brian Stelter this weekend. You thought De Niro and Joe Pesci was, you know, one of cinema's most immortal combos. Wait till you get a load of De Niro and Brian Stelter. (laughs) Let's listen. This guy is should not be president, period. And when you say that, folks on Fox come after you. I remember the Tonys when he got up there and cursed. A lot of criticism of you. Fuck them. Okay, well, you know, this is cable, so it's not an FCC violation, but it is still a Sunday morning. I do wonder why you choose to go that way. Let me say something. Why do you choose to go that way? We are at a moment in our life, in this country, where this guy is like a gangster. He's come along and he's said things, done things we say over and over again. This is terrible. We're in a terrible situation. We're in a terrible situation. And this guy just keeps going on and on and on without being stopped. Hmm. Well, let's fit in a break. Let's squeeze in a commercial. More with Robert De Niro in just a moment. <laughs> I love I love Stelter just throwing it to commercial. Woo! Let's let's cool down after that one. Um, I got so many things that are that I love about this this clip and this appearance. One is that De Niro chose to do cable news, but yeah. he did a show about press criticism. <laughs> 
Like we couldn't get Jeff Jarvis, so we got Bob De Niro. Oh my gosh. Um, second that he as a guy who has played gangsters has insight into Trump being a metaphorical gangster. Yes. Also great. Also, Stelter just getting really rattled by uh, De Niro's use of the F-bomb there. Isn't, isn't there an argument that this is like the cleanest Robert De Niro monologue of all time? I know. Has he never heard of Robert De Niro before? This is kind of crazy. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the video of this, but he looked it looked like an SNL sketch. He's sitting there kind of like in a no tie, you know, but a jacket over kind of like a polo shirt or something looking very uncomfortable, like an actor playing Robert De Niro on the set of reliable sources <laughs> just looking around oh it's unbelievable uh speaking of the irishman i also want to talk to you about joe pesci's big media moment this weekend he was on a panel at the new york film festival where the irishman wow. played and you know my my obsession with people who ask questions that include the phrase talk about uh, yeah. and, and you often, you get the side eye from the coach or the player because you're not, you're not really asking anything. You're just, you're just commanding that someone address a subject generally. Well, Joe Pesci got to talk about, and here's how that went. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk about coming aboard on this project after it's been a while since you've appeared in a film. And I think that the last one was Bob's film, The Good Shepherd. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so no, David, he will not answer the talk about question. He is, he, uh, he, he opts out. <laughs> if there's anybody, we always talk about pissing off Greg Popovich, you know, like that's not a guy or Bill Belichick. I, I, I think in the power rankings of people, I wouldn't want to piss off in a press conference saying, I think Joe Pesci might be number one. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's right. Purely for movie reasons, you know, not, I mean, I'm sure he's a lovely guy, but, um, but anyway, that was funny on the subject of the Joker got a movie coming out. Uh, yet another cinematic treatment. Joaquin Phoenix uh, this Friday will apply the face paint of everybody's favorite comic book villain. Mm-hmm. Love this tweet from film critic Scott Tobias. It feels like the Joker has already come and gone and been completely picked over, but it hasn't even opened yet. Still for it to play in theaters really seems like overkill at this point. <laughs> Part of the reason Tobias is saying that is because there's been so much pre-release pressure that has been exerted on the movie and the studio Warner brothers. Yeah. Uh, you will remember the 2012 shooting in Aurora, Colorado during a screening of the dark Knight rises where 12 people were killed, many more injured. Well, five family members of the victim sent a letter to Warner brothers asking the studio to use its clout to support new gun laws. According to the Hollywood reporter, Sandy Phillips, whose daughter Jessica was murdered in Aurora says that the Joker is quote, like a slap in the face. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter goes on to say she's concerned about audiences connecting to and even emulating the film's protagonist in a cultural climate where mass shootings have become commonplace. Now, I'm a gun laws person, as in a more gun laws person. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was kind of like, I, I totally understand that as a political issue. I do understand that there is some overlap into pop culture, even if, you know, movies don't don't cause people to do this kind of thing. Why exactly are we doing this now with this movie? Is it because of the Batman connection to the Dark Knight Rises? Is the it Joker, because, yeah. you know, what, what do you have a sense of why we're picking this anti-hero to kind of well, go in on and before we've yeah. even seen the movie? 
I think the shooter was was inspired by the Joker in that case, or it was. It I think that was actually be. debunked, by the way. Oh, really? I think. Uh, yeah, I read over. I read over the weekend that that was that was not the case. He had dyed his hair red, but the but at least the idea that he was saying I'm the Joker, I'm the Joker during the shooting is not is not true. Well, uh, yeah, that's sadly not too surprising. But I mean, I think the the Joker symbolizes a lot of things. Um, for the and, and again, it's it's I, I I'm 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 with you on gun control laws uh, for the most part, and don't um you know don't want to make light of the situation or anything. But uh, but this is I mean, the Joker is a very specific place in our pop cult cultural mind, especially after you know Heath Ledger's performance, um, where it was just he's this sort of um anarchic sort of you know um just the, the sort of symbol of of everything that's uh uncontrollable about the culture and, and and obviously there's a there's a allure to a certain very small subset of kind of misanthropes there but but I think the allure toward to the pro clutching crowd is a lot greater right i mean that he he symbolizes this sort of problem that we can't put a name to that said i don't know i mean i think why why now is a, is a good question i'm not i'm not sure i mean this is not this will not be the first or last time that that you know people got overly outraged about comic book characters um and what and all that they represent i mean this is a problem that uh you know dates back in american culture at least to um the seduction of the innocent the terrible book that frederick wortham wrote in when was at the 40s and and uh and you know accused batman and robin of being gay and eventually led to like basically just the comics code authority that Made it very difficult for children to buy comic books and blah blah blah. I mean, it's it's a um, fifty four was the year of that book, by the way. But it's it's I mean, it's listen, I mean, it's it's a it's a problem with comic books and with video games and with all kinds of nerdy subculture things that enough ad- adults weren't exposed to either because they're too new or because they they're just too subcultural. And it's really Dungeons and Dragons, another good one from the eighties. Really easy to to uh, point your finger at those things and accuse them of things that you don't understand because you're just groping for ways to understand things. But it's, uh, I'm, I, uh, you know, I think what's interesting about this one is, you know, that the Joker, this Joker movie is going, what people are going to say coming out of it, I think is like, well, that wasn't a superhero movie at all. And uh, I'm not sure that that makes it better or worse in this, in this, uh, you know, through this lens, but um but yeah, it's it is a very weird time for people to be, for people to be uh, taking that ar- making that argument. I guess it's in fairness to the Aurora victims' families, they're not trying to pull a movie. Just to be clear, in case I oh, no no that that, that part that part I thought was 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 restrained by by uh, by the, you know the traditional standards. You're right. Not not telling anybody to picket it or 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 you know sit it out or anything. Just merely saying. I hope at the same time that you're releasing movies like this, um, you are, you know, also interested in using whatever power you have to think about gun control. Think about this problem we have in America of mass shootings. And it, it, it here's the interesting part of this to me. And again, I'm, 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 I'm with you. Play the movie. Let's go see the movie. We'll figure it out and all that kind of stuff. And and you know, I don't, I don't get too much into the thing. The one, the one thing I think they. One thing they're touching on here that is interesting is because this movie has been advertised relentlessly as this is dark, man. This is this isn't Cesar Romero. This is this isn't even yeah. Heath Ledger, right? This is this is way this isn't even a superhero movie. This is just way dark shit. You know, you're going to go in there. 
the fact that that kind of movie is being released in America after all these mass shootings. Sure. After all these, un, you know, just ununderstandable things that you're talking about that we just can't wrap our mind around. And here comes this thing wandering into that pop culture, political evil moment that gives it more resonance. And so it's not nuts for people who have been directly, you know, harmed and affected by a mass shooting to come in and say, by the way, as long as we're, you know, using this movie is this movie as long as the movie is surfing off this, this thing that's out there in the culture, let's also try to understand it and make laws so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But maybe I'm overly sensitive about this, but it does seem, but it, I mean, it, it just seems, um, I guess, I guess to me, I mean, I don't know this movie. I don't think is, I, I think to, to assume anything about it, it probably at this point is probably an error. I'm, I'm very excited about it. Um, but I guess to me as a, as a diehard comic book nerd, the disconnect is that like when a villain gets his own, gets to be the star, it usually means he's becoming a hero. So maybe this is, <laughs> maybe that's not going to happen in this movie. But by comic book, uh, by 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 the the archetypes that the, that years of reading comic books have have instructed me on, it feels like this is this probably isn't the right time to uh, to assume that the to assume the worst about the Joker. But you know, this might not be the case. <laughs> the other the interesting thing from a media perspective here is these movies are so important, and it you know financially for the studio, especially Warner Brothers, which is you know groped around to how to make superhero movies and movies with all these characters, unlike their pals over at Disney. And so you, it's very hard for the filmmakers or anybody to even have a conversation about this stuff because they're so worried about the movie getting skunked by some bad publicity. Oh yeah. So what they do is just tune it out. You saw at the premiere of the Joker this Saturday here in, in Hollywood that photographers uh, could show up and take pictures on the red carpet, but they were no longer allowing red carpet interviews. That was totally prohibited because they just didn't want to even even just like, you know, from extra or whoever's there on the red carpet, even entertain a question about how this could connect to the real world at all. They released yeah. this really stilted statement. This is Warner Brothers to the Aurora families I mentioned earlier. Neither the fictional character Joker nor the film is an endorsement of real world violence of any kind. Now, I totally understand the second part of that. <laughs> the fictional character Joker is not an endorsement of real world violence. I mean, that just sounds so, so you speak. If we may speak for the Joker, this is not what he's saying. I mean, this is like a decades old character. I don't know if you saw this too, Dave, but earlier this month, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, and I think this is kind of what kicked all this off, sat down for a profile with Robbie Collin, film critic over at the Daily Telegraph. Colin asked him, uh, as he says, he says, when I put it to him, aren't you worried this film might perversely end up inspiring exactly the kind of people it's about with potentially tragic consequences? Phoenix stared at him uh, and Colin writes, why? He eventually mutters, his lip curling up at one side. Why would you? No, no. And then Phoenix stands up, shuffles toward me, clasps my hand between his and walks out the door right in the middle of the interview. It takes an hour's peace brokering with a Warner Brothers PR to get things back on track, Colin writes. Phoenix panicked, he later explains, because he, the, he genuine, the question genuinely had not crossed his mind before. So that's also fascinating to me is that the filmmakers, and I, and I told, again, I totally understand of thinking this as a work of art, as something, and I am, I am, I am on that side of this argument, but that you didn't even really think 
of the way that this would interact with the real world or you didn't really want to or you didn't want to think about it before this movie came out because that just strikes me as something again given how many times we talked about mass shootings on this stupid podcast given the given the amount of talk there has been in the culture about this that you wouldn't you know have an answer or have at least you kind of explored that question a little bit before the movie came out I mean, but at some point, you have to be honest about the questions that you're asking about the, what you're proposing, right? I mean, is the answer that we don't have cool bad guys in movies for fear that someone would emulate a bad guy? Mm-hmm. Is this just like we can't we can't have we can't have our heroes smoking cigarettes for fear that people want to go out and smoke? I mean, is that I'm, I'm not maybe that's helped. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure that like that like you know the the rule is just is is a good idea one way or the other. But I agree that you have to be. As an artist, at least in the modern age, you do. I mean, there is some responsibility of self awareness, so there, or there, or not responsibility, but there is some. There, there can be a reasonable expectation of that. So, yeah, exactly. That you're just going to talk about. You know, if if asked about it, you you have some answer for it rather than running away from everybody. By the way, I also learned from Robbie Collins' uh, profile. You know how Joaquin Phoenix lost all this weight for the uh, for the role. Uh-huh. He had an eight month hardcore diet. Colin writes of a single meal per day of an apple steamed green beans and lettuce uh that was it and uh when colin asked him wasn't it hard phoenix answers not really you just eat whatever the fuck they say that was his uh answer joaquin phoenix what a fascinating (laughs) dude in and of himself david from the world of pro football i want to talk to you about the houston texans uh not their loss to the panthers 16 10 on sunday but mike randall who's a fantasy football guy of the action network putting up a clip from the post game which was an exchange between Deshaun Watson, who was the Texans quarterback and a reporter. Oh yeah. He tweeted it as if Watson had dunked on the reporter wrote Deshaun Watson one reporter zero. Let us listen to what Watson actually said. The coverage they're playing. Is there anything you guys can do as an offense to manufacture more opportunities for you to try to try them downfield? Or were, was that kind of the only two or three opportunities you had in the game? Uh, I mean, you know what coverage they're playing. Well, you you said I'm, earlier. I'm, I'm just asking. I'm not. No, no, no. I and I, I want. I want to cover. It's cover four. Yeah. So what the the safeties are doing? They're playing deep, and they're guarding number two corner sink, and they trap two. And so what they're doing is keeping everything in front. The linebackers are playing anything across. Kiki is playing the middle. He stops everything that crosses the middle. He jumps everything that, and the safeties are charging on number two. So if the safeties are playing low then we can't take that. We have to hit double moves. Mm-hmm. We did the post because Reed stepped up on two with an out over the top. I didn't hit it. Same thing with Hop. In route, safety jumped up. He went vertical. I didn't hit it. That was the only two. After that, they played back. Mm-hmm. Cover two, six, buzz, which is safety. Reed comes in between. Keekly, the outside linebacker, he plays deep. I got to get rid of the ball. Thank you. So as several people noted on Twitter, David, that was actually – pretty much a model exchange between sports writer yes and quarterback full of information that got weirdly cast originally and again it was just one person but cast as as a reporter getting dunked on by the quarterback Mm -hmm. did that does that proceed because he asked him do you know what coverage we were in they were in at the beginning is that how that got misinterpreted and we all got off on the wrong foot I think it was like the sideways smile to the or the you know the, the to whoever he was looking at uh, next to him. He being Deshaun Watson. That's what had me ready for the dunk. 
Um, and then when he went, when he went back and he, not only did he say, and then he said, I guess he said, do you know what coverage is? But he's immediately kind of apologizing, right? He's just like, no, no, I don't mean it. I don't mean it, you know, the way you think I mean it. I mean, do you, I like, literally, do you know, so I can like form, formulate my question I and mean, formulate my answer. Um, yeah, it was incredibly in, in, informative and, and, uh, and I think it, you know, like you said, I mean, that, like, I think you said, like you said, it's a, a, a banner exchange between reporter and, and subject. The, the reporter in question was um, Aaron Rice of The Athletic, friend of the pod. Of the pod. And, uh, <laughs> and he just tweeted, or he tweeted, um, uh, thanks to Deshaun Watson for giving a detailed answer about the Panthers' coverage strategy. I, did, I didn't think he was trying to dunk on me, and I'm not naive enough to believe I know anywhere close to as much as him. Everyone wins. Yeah, I just I think I think part of this, too, is like there's a misunderstanding from people on the outside and often terrifyingly, even from the journalists who are in the locker room, that you were in there to get quotes. <laughs> I almost said, quote, unquote, quotes. Mm-hmm. You were in there to get quotes as opposed to you were in there occasionally to find in a really interesting turn of phrase. But you were also largely in there to get information. And, you know, when you're talking to a player after the game, you the journalist who doesn't understand, as Rice is saying in that tweet, that doesn't perfectly understand what you've just seen on the field. You're going to the players and just tell me what happened. Tell me so I can understand and I can communicate this to readers. That's what you're trying to get half the time. You know, that's like the, you know, the question of the pitcher who gives up the game winning home run. What were you trying to throw? You know, what happened on that pitch, right? You're trying to get some information as opposed to just something that can be a freestanding paragraph in your newspaper article. Yeah. And that was like, that's that case where he's just literally trying to understand. And then Deshaun Watson rare for an athlete, especially after a loss is actually willing to go into this huge amount of detail with it. So that was, that was pretty incredible. I know it's going to shock you, David, that Kevin Durant got involved in the story somehow. Oh yeah. Because it involves relations between players. Yeah. Chris sent this along. Um, Durant, <laughs> somehow got into a Twitter canoe. Uh, he said he learned a lot from watching the clip. Also, he says, wild to me, but nowadays you don't have to have mu- that much knowledge to get a job. I guess he means in the media. Got to look the part and know someone, lol. And just new, just in- information here to Kevin Durant, since I know a, you know a little bit about journalism. That was always the case in the media. You, you didn't have to know a lot about basketball to get a job covering it in the 60s. Durant goes on to say, truth of the matter, reporters have to ask better questions about the game. They have to get educated. They are educated on how to get clicks. I don't I don't subscribe to that entire uh, thought, but I do think there is there is something to that, especially when, you know, we live in the age of every Kevin Durant answer at his locker being videoed and put immediately to Twitter. There's something there's something about that sort of chase after the game for that perfect instant soundbite used to go out on television or radio. Now it goes out on Twitter instantly after they give it, but you can ask if you, I think, you know, there's there, he, what he's saying is ask me a good basketball question and, and, and let me see what I do with it. Now, do I 100% believe Kevin Durant is going to get a great bass X's and O's basketball question and be like, let me, let me at some length tell you exactly what was happening on the floor tonight. No. Uh, but, that's an interesting strategy and it's and it's something i think that you know again if you're looking if you're looking for good info in a locker room that's not a bad way to go no i mean i think to to take this one step backward i mean i think that there's you know at the same time that there's there's this concept that you would go in looking for a good quote 
um, or whatever. There's, I mean, we're, that's sort of paralleled by this. It's not just quote culture. There's also the like the the social media dunk culture that people are out there looking for dunkings, even when those dunkings didn't quite take place. <laughs> and this is like prime example, right? I mean, this is this is. Yes. Uh, um, and so, you know, in so much as it speaks to a bigger issue with journalism, I think it has to be a little bit muted by the fact that, like, this whole thing was sort of called out unnecessarily. <laughs> um, but but I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, I do think that there's a place for, um, you know, it would be nice if we lived in a perfect world where, like, everyone could agree to, to you know, the terms of combat or whatever. And, and some of the and, and there could be like, a, you know, a special interview room for people answering real I mean, asking real questions and expecting real answers even if they don't fit neatly into a into a gamer or whatever. But um but yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe Kevin Durant and Deshaun Watson will will lead us to that promised land. And I'm all for good quotes by the way. I'm all I'm all we can have a quotes podium on this side of the uh media room after the game and a and an X's and O's podium and I would visit both podiums. I I think both both are good. I'm just saying there there's another lane here and that's what our friend of the pod was was exploring. All right. Speaking of places to get dunked on, how about David Shoemaker guesses a strain pun headline? Yeah. Last Tuesday's was for the Greta Good. Terrible. This week's comes, David, from Chris Gorski. Actually, it's the second one because I put the first, I actually left the first one in our Google Doc and you just said it on the air. So we had to erase <laughs> the whole segment. Whoops. This week's second strain pun headline comes from Chris Gorski. Uh, he tweets at us and says, geology pun alert. Scientists studying tubes found in 500 plus million year old fossils wrote a paper. Okay. Tubes? The paper. Tubes. All so, right. <laughs> can I, I just want to read you the subheadline of this because it's All amazing. Right. Deathbeds of Ediacaran macrofossils or microbially induced sedimentary structures? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, that was a that was a that was a choice. Yeah. I see. Okay, that was a choice. That's 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 the big the big reveal <laughs> at the end of the paper is apparently going to be which of those that it is. This is uh, in the from the Geological Society of America. In case you missed it, uh, is ran on August twelfth, two thousand nineteen. But the whole question is, if I'm if I'm reading this correctly, is whether these are tubular, soft bodied macrofossils. So, okay, so are they, and, and please geologists write in and correct us if I'm not getting that wrong, but they're, they're wondering if there are the presence of tubular soft-bodied macro fossils, okay? Tubular Accent soft, on the word uh, tubular. Right. What is the Geological Society of America strain pun headline? T- totally it's not tu- that hard. Is it totally tubular? Question mark? Keep, oh. You're you're, uh, on, you're on absolutely on the right track. Tub, tubular, uh, totally tubular, dude. Totally. Um, uh, oh, I don't know. What did I got? Um, well, we we had Shakespeare a few back. Is it, it tubular? Tube tubey or not tubey? Yeah, there we go. Is that it? Tubey oh. or not tubey? Like T U B Y? Like tubey? T U T U B E Y. Oh wow! To be or not to be. So let me read you the whole headline: To be or not to be: colon deathbeds of Ediacaran <laughs> macrofossils or microbially induced sedimentary structures. <laughs> that is the question. 
Thank God the thank God the main headline was funny. That's fantastic. I love it. That's my favorite one yet. I think. I just imagining geologists who are you know just just picking up this paper, and and saying you know God it was great great pun on the headline you know great stuff to the authors Lyle L Nelson and Emily F Smith. Anyway, great stuff in the uh, from the Geological Society of America. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Research by Chris Almeida. Production magic by Jim Cunningham. We're back Friday, bright and early. More lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you, Brian. David? Oh, yeah. Here's a question I have for you, David. Uh, at the risk of getting back a shrug emoji. Uh, knowing what you know about looking terrible, very uncomfortable, completely useless. Uh, on the subject of David Shoemaker, stop booking this guy. <laughs> no tie, you know, but a jacket over kind of like a polo shirt or something. Fuck him. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just love that. What a moment! Yeah. What a moment! I, I could totally identify. I guess to me, as a as a diehard comic book nerd, but guess what? We have some of those motherfuckers over here too. <laughs> but guess what? Fuck them. Are you willing to suffer through all that just to get that little bit? But anyway, that was fun. <laughs>